Welcome to the fourth season of PEBC's Phenomenal Teaching Podcast. My name is Michelle Morris-Jones, and I am honored to bring you these compelling conversations. This season's theme is scaffolding. Guests will be sharing all the ways in which we can create scaffolds for students, teachers, and schools that promote agency, equity, and understanding. Of course, we will continue to link these conversations to the strands of the PEBC teaching framework by focusing on community, planning, workshop, thinking strategies, discourse, and assessment strategies. Thank you so much for listening in. Greetings, everyone. Today, Nicole Tucker-Smith is joining me on the Phenomenal Teaching Podcast to unpack the ways in which we can create school and classroom environments that promote agency, equity, and understanding for all learners. If you aren't familiar with Nicole, she is the founder and CEO of LessonCast, co-author of Supercharge Your Professional Learning, an international presenter for Universal Design for Learning, and the leader of Jumpstart PD. You may also know her through some of her articles. She's written Why the Debate Over School Curriculum Matters to Everyone, The Illusion of Equity PD, and most recently, The Danger of Importing Bias into the Metasphere. Nicole helps schools implement professional learning initiatives focused on inclusion leadership and teaching practices, culturally responsive pedagogy, and equity best practice. Nicole, before we jump into our conversation today about environment, welcome and thank you for joining me. Oh my goodness, thank you so much for having me today. I'm so excited to be a part of this conversation. I just, I really, I can't wait. I love thinking about environments, talking about environments. It's, you know, we think about space is so important for learners, both for youth and for adults. But before we begin, I know that my listeners love to hear teachers' journey stories. How did you find your way into education? Well, it's really interesting. So I, um, in hindsight, one of my mother's best friends, she said to me later after I became a teacher, oh, I knew you were going to be a teacher, but I did not know that I was going to be a teacher. And actually I um, attended the University of Virginia and I was all excited about majoring in communications. I wanted to be a journalist. My plan was to be the next Oprah. And then I get to UVA in the fall of 1995. And I am informed that the communication department, the communications department is closing. Oh. So I could not major in communications, which I felt like they should have noted that on the brochure, like that was kind of crucial for my deciding on a college. But um, now they have a communications department again. But anyway, they did not. And so I needed to find a new major and I was wandering aimlessly across the bridge. This is literally a true story. I was, there's this famous bridge um, in Charlottesville on the, on the grounds of the University of Virginia. And if you walk on the bridge, you can actually, if you jump in a certain place and you have enough people, you can actually make the concrete oscillate. Okay. But, so I was walking across this bridge and it's a bridge that takes the, the College of Arts and Sciences and you cross it into the Curry School of Education. And on that bridge was a flyer, a small yellow flyer about an interest meeting hosted by the Office of African-American Affairs and the Curry School of Education because they were trying to recruit more black teachers into the Curry School of Education. And so I attended that meeting and there may have been five people there, but it made a difference in my life. Efforts to recruit a diverse workforce 
matter. <laughs> and Absolutely. So keep doing that. And it completely changed my life. But that's how I became uh, an educator. I started taking classes, started doing clinical experiences, uh, realized I was really good at it and I liked it. And so um, then I became a teacher. I moved into leadership uh, positions. I was also at the Center for Technology and Education at Johns Hopkins University School of Education. I then moved to Baltimore County Public Schools, became the supervisor of parent support services, um, an assistant principal, and a system-wide coordinator of professional development and training. And at the time, the school system was the 25th largest school district in the country. And you know, when I and now I do, I lead LessonCast. So I'm the CEO of LessonCast, but really all of the work that we do at LessonCast may seem like it comes from a lot of different perspectives because we focus not only on equity and inclusion and universal design for learning, but also educator wellness. And the through line through all of those things is all about cultivating spaces for dialogue across differences. And that's really um, what I'm passionate about. Wow, Nicole, and that's like, that's such a powerful statement. Like I just wanna pause and give folks just a chance to reflect on your journey and just the way that you found yourself into education and then all of that varied experience you have. And then to develop that through line for your work, cultivating spaces for dialogue across differences. It seems as if you've been able to synthesize all of those experiences and expertise into this really rich vision that you have for educators. Well, and I have to admit that it's also because I have an awesome team. I have an awesome team that we've really grown, but we've stayed tight and we have bonds. And that is not uh, an under the through line. I didn't come up with that by myself, mm -hmm. but as a team, we said, oh, this is, this is why, this is what we do. This is why we're here. This is our unique position for making a difference in education. I think it's a great jumping off point for our conversation today because we're talking all about environment and we're talking all about space. And so the PEBC teaching framework highlights the importance of community and the role that environment plays in establishing classroom communities or school communities that really promote authentic agency, equity for all learners and deep understanding. And so from your perspective and based on your ex expertise, how do we create environments that promote agency, equity, understanding for all learners, including youth and adults? Yeah, I think that that journey on um, create or that, that plan, that intention around creating environments that promote agency, equity, and understanding really requires us to first look back, examine, and even confront where we've come from in terms of a society and the role that education plays in that society. And so you may have heard this before, so a lot of people, some, especially in the ed tech space, people will say things like, well, if you showed up um, at a grocery, if you took somebody from the 1800s per se, like you took somebody from the 1800s and teleported them to today and they showed up at the grocery store, they'd be like, where am I? And if you took them to the movie theater, they'd be like, what is this? But if you took them to school, <laughs> They'd be like, oh, I know where I am, right? Because it's the, you've got the desks, they're probably facing a board of some type, the teacher's at the front, and you've got a teacher's desk somewhere next to uh, the front of the room. And so uh, I was in a conversation with someone, and we were talking about why is that arrangement of space so persistent 
over 200 years, two centuries, we've been repurposing this same space. Why is that? And I, you know, it dawned on me one day, I said, you know what? I think we need to really examine our original intention of the common school. And so that's uh, something that we need to explore. Well, I think that is so interesting. And, and just the way you took us back kind of in a little time machine there. I mean, everyone probably has stepped foot on some kind of historical museum or location where they've recreated different environments. And you're absolutely right. The schoolhouse is so recognizable and there's so many parallels. So you just mentioned it's important to kind of think about the origin. Like why was that space created, right? Form follows function, function form. So do you mind just helping us understand that historical perspective? Yeah, so um, a lot of uh, today's education system, public education system is credited um, to Horace Mann who did uh, great things in terms of making uh, folks understand the need for public education and saying that this is a universal um, experience that students should have an opportunity to have no matter where they are, whatever state they're in, that there should be publicly funded education and that it should be funded through taxpayer dollars, right? And so he really put out that call. He did a lot of things, including being an abolitionist. And one of the ways that he got the public to buy into this idea of common schools was really around saying that, well, in order to have an informed citizenry, in order to have good citizens, that's why we need to have public schools. And that's, you know, that sounds great. It sounds very benevolent. And it also requires examining, hmm, there's a little bit of valuing assimilation here. Mm -hmm. It's saying in order to, you know, quote unquote, uh, make people act right, <laughs> right? We need to send them to school. And so the dominant value of the common schools that we really dig deep really was not just about providing opportunity for everyone, but creating spaces that would promote assimilation for everyone because there was a specific idea about what a good citizen should be or a good worker should be. And so if we don't really confront that original intention of assimilation and think about what does that mean and how does that show up today, we are going to keep repeating the same spaces that really promote that original idea of assimilation instead of equity. Absolutely. So when we think about that, you know, that original kind of classroom space, that classic 200-year-old photograph image of a classroom. We see a very teacher-centered, very adult-centered, very compliant mm -hmm. um, student body, if you will. Mm -hmm. So when we think about that idea of assimilation and compliance, developing a citizenry, what are you noticing today in schools? What are the trends that you see? Yes, and so there's certain trends around, like even for example, the idea of students need to study the classics. What does that mean? Who's, what is considered a classic? Who's considered a contributor of knowledge? Um, the, if you look at the majority of, in particular we're in American school systems, they're very Eurocentric curricula in mm -hmm. terms of whose stories get told 
and in terms of how we characterize certain stories. And so the, that, that's where you have to say, well, if we want a more diverse curriculum, we have to confront the idea that curriculum was often a way to help people assimilate to this is what we think is good. And we're mm. gonna hold up this is good rather than saying, let's bring in multiple traditions, multiple perspectives and value each one rather than trying to make them conform. The other thing I'll see, I see today is um, one of the biggest issues when I talk with teachers, they're like, oh my gosh, our biggest challenge right now, our biggest problem is attendance. Hands down, that's what I hear more than anybody else. Biggest <laughs> problem is attendance. And a lot of that is actually related to compliance and how we're viewing attendance. And so for example, attendance means if we can blame students, but really the issue is that now they're disconnected from school. Mm -hmm. And if we say, how do we increase connection? How do we create spaces that promote connection? In order to do that, we have to let go of assimilation being the priority and just look at all the things that we do that are actually about assimilation instead of connection and increasing that connection. Um, it's also related to choice. Like um, when I see teachers are like, well, they haven't earned choice yet or I only do choice for my gifted and talented students. Well, as human beings, we enjoy free will. We like that. And having choice is a motivator. And if we don't give choice, then the only choice for students is either to do something or to not do something. Exactly. <laughs> right, you're either compliant or you're not. <laughs> right. There's no in between. There's no in between. If, there, if, you, if you give no choice, if you say, this is how you have to show up and this is how you have to be and this is the way you can express yourself, the choice is to either do that or not do that. And students will choose. They will exert free will. And so instead we can, you know, co-design with students. What would be the best way for you to express yourself in this way? What, what do you think would be a timeline that could fit here? Co-design students, ask them. And we're actually increasing agency. And when you aim for agency, compliance will come. And in fact, it'll be an authentic compliance, not just I'm following the letter of the law, but we're actually getting that spirit of why we are here in the space together. Right, so we think about even that attendance issue. We think about increasing connection, authentic choice, student ownership. All of those then lead to agency. Yes. And then with agency, we have that deep engagement. Yes. Which then I think we are starting to address opportunities for equity and deeper understanding because our learners are fully engaged. Exactly. Whenever people say that, you know, I, we have a motivation issue, I'm like, actually, you have an engaging environment issue. Mm -hmm. To what extent is your environment engaging? And look at the barriers because we can't change people. But we can create spaces that, that cultivate change taking place and cultivate growth taking place. That connects to a quote of yours that I grabbed from your article, The Illusion of Equity PD, which was um, published in Ed Leadership, ASCD. And this is what you wrote. School communities are committed to achieving inclusive and equitable learning environments. They must resist the pull of premature confidence, sustain their efforts and resilience through the valley of humility and apply concrete practices to challenge biases and barriers until equity-based practice becomes an integral part of their classrooms, hallways, front offices, and boardrooms. So my, my question for you, Nicole, is 
you, you kind of got us thinking about this idea of environment and space. And I think all of the listeners have already inferred that you're not talking about borders and you're not talking about bulletin boards, but you're really talking about space in a different way. Mm-hmm. That true classroom environment that creates that opportunity for agency equity and understanding. So how do we move forward? Yeah, well, first, one of the things we have to do is, um, I'm, there are three values that I think really help drive moving forward. But even before uh, I share those three values, it's really about one, recognizing that, and I often work with teachers, they'll say, well, I want, I want to do different, I want to do things differently and I, I wanna diversify my curriculum and I, and I wanna change this practice, but what if I make a mistake? Mm-hmm. And I say, well, guess what? Let me just go ahead and, you know, in the mystery here, you are going to make a mistake. So then what do we do when we make mistakes, right? Part of it is this, and teachers in general have this need, you know, we, we, we've stepped into a role where we need to be seen as an expert. Absolutely. But we have to recognize that we are not expert in all things. Well, especially considering that we work in the business of learning, yes. but there is that really strange paradigm that the teacher is the expert. They have to know everything. They have to be in control at all times. I am a huge fan of Brian Camborn's theory of learning and that element, that condition of approximation that for learners, and I think this applies to both, you know, children, young adults, adults, older adults like me, that we need to have that opportunity to approximate. So we're all going to make mistakes and we're all going to be approximating towards something that we truly want to put into practice in our classroom or some, our new skill that we want to learn. And so when you mention mistakes, I think that's really fascinating that we have to move forward. We have to try some things. And so what, what might those mistakes lead to, if you will, or, or, or say more? Yeah. So mistakes lead to learning. And so it's not about what if I make a mistake. It's about what happens when we make mistakes. What do we do? Do we call each other in, Mm. right? Do we take a moment to listen? Um, Do we um, think about like if somebody shares, well, you know, what you said really harmed me and this is how I was feeling. Do we lean in and listen or do we say, oh, well, that wasn't my intent? Mm -hmm. Well, I guess, you know, I know that wasn't your intent because I didn't think you intended to hurt me. You have to say, all right, let's think about the impact, not just what you intended, but what's the impact. And part of that requires letting go of this need to feel like we're perfect. Mm-hmm. And um, often when, I, cause in the article, I talk about, you know, the pull of premature confidence, sustaining efforts and resilience through the, the valley of humility. There are moments when we're designing spaces and we recognize that harm has happened and it's natural. It's a natural human being response to feel guilty. You'll reflect on life, be like, oof, I wish I had not done that. But staying in that place of guilt only serves my need to think of myself as perfect. And that's just an illusion. Mm -hmm. And so I have to let go, move through the guilt, right? Recognize that it's happening. I feel guilty. Move through the guilt lean in in order to empathize and then choose action that promotes equity. Move through the guilt, lean in to develop more empathy 
and then choose actions that promote equity. And so when you think about actions that promote equity, I really have like these three kind of guiding values when we think about how we're designing our spaces, because you have to, if we're going to replace assimilation, if assimilation isn't our value, then what are we replacing it with? Otherwise you have this vacuum and someone's gonna fill it. And so I think about, we need to promote equity over assimilation. We need to promote agency over compliance. And we need to promote connection over conformity. So those three values are equity over assimilation, agency over compliance, connection over conformity. And starting with what do we value is key. Wow. And so I'm thinking about you know, those, those three values that you just mentioned and, and, and making a shift. I mean, you're talking about yes. change. Yes. And so could you take us into a moment Yes. in a classroom? Yes. What might, how might those, what might that look like and sound like in my mind or in my practice? Yeah. So one of the things I um, talk about a lot in our professional learning um, work is around of sometimes we try to like boil the ocean and that doesn't work. Like you try to, you try to say, I'm going to do all things, right? I'm going to try to boil the ocean. And I say, we're not going to boil the oceans, not realistic. What we're going to do is we're going to start with a scoop. We're going to take a cup of water and I call that cup of water a moment. So if we consider a moment and think about how do we apply those values in a moment, take, for example, let's think about in a classroom, you often see the read aloud. Absolutely. In the moment of a read aloud, how do we promote equity over assimilation, agency over compliance, and connection over conformity? So think about the read aloud and the need, oh, sit still, so-and-so. Is that agency over compliance, right? Or even Absolutely. Who, right? And so just think about that moment. In that moment, how do we apply? How do we make the shift in those moments? Or another moment is um, just when you're greeting students and when they're coming into the classroom or coming into the school building, how are we promoting agency over assimilation? You know, the connection over conformity is a big one with greetings. Absolutely. That's, what, that's where I'm thinking. Yep. I've worked, I've worked with um, teachers where they say, well, I need the students to make eye contact. That's your value of how, how greeting should work, right? But we're promoting connection over conformity. We have to recognize that everybody doesn't wanna be greeted in the same way. And if we are you know, thinking about agency over compliance, what happens often when, a, what happens when a student shows up late? Where, where have you been? Where's your past? Why are you late? That's not welcoming. No, it's not putting anybody is not you're probably not late for a fantastic fun reason right and so it is undermining the whole point of a greeting which is to make someone feel welcomed and valued in the space oh gosh nicole i'm loving this i'm loving this as like a litmus test right mm -hmm. like you could take any moment any moment in There's your classroom in your school i think yeah. about the front office i'm thinking about staff mm -hmm. meetings i'm thinking about plcs yeah. but this idea of what does equity over assimilation look like in that moment in that moment in that or moment. agency over compliance or connection over conformity mm -hmm. and then what are we going to stop doing mm -hmm. what are we going to start doing and what might we keep doing yeah kind of the stoplight idea right yep <laughs> yep yeah. okay so i think that we're really starting to kind of just 
uncover all of these different layers re related to environment and space. And I think you've given us a really, really helpful framework where you could really literally take any moment in your day and kind of, I don't want to say run it through, but run yeah. it through this filter. Like, okay, well, yeah. Check and where am I leaning on this continuum? Mm -hmm. What is it? What's my intent? What's mm -hmm. my impact even more importantly? Mm -hmm. So let's go into some action steps. So I'm thinking as we engage in doing this deeper work of unpacking our beliefs and biases and discovering those practices that are not equitable or inclusive in our schools and classrooms, we have this opportunity, this framework that you just provided for us to think through that. But let's get a little bit more concrete. What are a couple steps that folks who are like, okay, I'm starting to get an idea of how I might think about it, but what are some actions folks might take just right off the bat? Yeah. And so one thing is just look at your space survey your space. What actions, behaviors are you promoting and incentivizing? What are you making it easy to do? So if you look at your space, mm. is it easy to collaborate? Is it easy to work together? If we say we value collaboration, does your space support it or does it actually disincentivize it? And so when you think about those values, if we're, if we're thinking about promoting equity over assimilation, what is in your space that says that, even if it's like what's on your walls? Absolutely. You know, at our organization, we bring mm -hmm. teachers all the time to visit other teachers. Mm -hmm. And one of my favorite ways to start the visit is to visit the classroom without the teacher and without the students. Mm -hmm. And I ask visitors, what story is this space telling you? What do you think is gonna happen? What do you think learning looks like in this space? And so what you just mentioned is so critical. And even, I often look in rooms and I say, is there enough emptiness mm, mm -hmm. in this room? Because sometimes as educators, we fill the room up so much that there's no space for the students to bring themselves. Mm -hmm. Where That's is there enough emptiness for the students to be able to co-create the space with you. Absolutely, and how does that space evolve over time? Yes, yes. So I think that's, so let's just kind of recap. If I'm surveying the space, if I'm walking into my classroom or if I'm a school leader and I'm walking into my school, what are some look fors? What are some questions? Yeah. You said, is there a time for, is there a space that looks like it's for collaboration? Mm -hmm. Is there empty space for mm -hmm. learners to curate and to create that sense of belonging. Mm -hmm. What other things am I looking for? Yeah, you're also looking uh, for, is there, you can look for example, like equal status for diverse languages, right? Even the use of a term English language learner kind of undermines the fact that they know multiple languages, right? And it prioritizes, it prioritizes English as uh, this is the best way of communicating. It's just, it's just the one that we've agreed on for right now, right? So. <laughs> Absolutely. So yeah, it just, I mean, word choice alone, right? So, yeah. so as a surveyor of space, I'm looking at language. I'm looking at furniture arrangement. I'm looking at access for materials. I'm looking for empty space. I'm looking for collaborative spaces. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at classroom materials. I'm probably looking at what type of texts are represented. Mm -hmm. I'm also looking at, um, yeah, so what type of texts are represented, who's in the curriculum, um, are there supports 
for dialogue across differences, mm. right? And so like I even do, and at, Jumpstart, at Jumpstart PD, which are a free community for national development leaders leading particularly about equity and inclusion, you know, do we have prompts and considerations and agreements for how we talk to one another? Mm -hmm. And even more importantly, how we listen to one another. We did this whole workshop on just listening, learning to listen. You know, you we you share to teach, but you listen to learn. And a lot of times we're not doing enough listening. Um, and so I, I'll look for agreements around how we treat one another, um, how we listen to one another. Um, are there are there scaffolds for working together? Are there um, prompts to check in with one another? Those are some things that I would look for. Wow, thank you. Okay. And then you can else? also audit yeah. the time. Oh, no, I was just saying, it's not just the, the space, but also how are you spending time in that space, right? And that's where you can have somebody come visit in that space. Now, once the students and uh, teacher are there, who's doing the most speaking, mm -hmm. right? And um, how, are we, how are we spending the time together is another key step. And both of those provide data points, exactly. right? You have a third point. If someone comes in and audits time for you, let's say, you know, three times across a period of two weeks, you'll have three sets of data mm -hmm. to examine. Wow, I had no idea, or that's interesting. In math, my space is arranged this way, but perhaps in literacy, it's arranged a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. And then surveying the space is something you could do with a trusted colleague, with your buddy. And you have to, and again, you have to move through that valley of humility when you do it. You really do. You have mm -hmm. to, and this is where mindfulness matters. You have to like take moments where you breathe, <laughs> you know, and you, and you recognize, okay, you know what? I didn't realize how I was showing up in the space. I didn't realize how I was dominating the time. Mm -hmm. And you, there's a, you, you have to resist the urge to be like, well, if they had just come the period before. Right. <laughs> or if they had come to the class last week, don't do that. Don't do that. Just take it in, receive it and think about how we can use this as a learning point. Love it. So that takes us back to don't try to boil the ocean. Right. Take one scoop, examine yes. it, learn from it, move it forward. And move forward. Absolutely. All right. So let's go a little bit deeper because I think that we're really kind of starting to think about, you know, this idea of concrete steps, but there's a little bit more to it. And there's some more nuances and more depth. And I know that you and your teammates at LessonCast have had some great success at flipping root cause analysis mm -hmm. when you're coaching individuals or teams or working in schools. And so I was wondering if you wouldn't mind thinking of a common challenge yes. and thinking about that through your framework for change. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, so for example, uh, another common challenge besides attendance. <laughs> attendance. <common> <laughs> Another common challenge I hear the most is um, students, that there's a lot of missing work, a lot of missing assignments. And sometimes it shows up as students aren't motivated, students are apathetic, students are, I've even heard, purposefully disengaged. Um, and, here's, and here's what I often um, tell folks. I was like, okay, so you're saying that the chief issue here is, is mindset. They, you know, whether you call it a growth mindset, fixed mindset, whatever, you, you want the student's mindset to shift because you want them to do the work. And right now they're not doing the work. And so I mentioned before that, you know, you can't change people. You can't change people's minds. 
people have to change their mind for themselves. They, you have to examine why is it that work isn't being completed and don't blame the learner, but think about what may be barriers in the environment. So to do that, we'll say, okay, so let's say that mindset is kind of, a lot of people will say, well, at the root is this mindset. Well, if we can't change minds, what can we change? So the layer above mindset, or I call it hearts and minds. So the layer above hearts and minds is habits and practices. We can shift habits and practices, but then how do we shift habits and practices? We have to look at our spaces and systems. And then how do we shift spaces and systems? We have to go back to those values. So you go start with your values, the values and culture. Are you in your space? So starting with values and thinking about this challenge of missing work. Are we, do we value equity over assimilation? And in that case of missing work, are we saying that everyone has to complete the work in exactly the same way? Mm. That's promoting assimilation over equity. And if there's only one way for students to show what they know, by definition, that's not equitable. And as educators, we often design assignments that work really great for us. That's human tendency. We design for ourselves. Absolutely. And so are we designing assignments that allow for students to be able to show what they know in diverse ways? Now, I do whole workshop series, year-long things on that, but that's the first step. And you know, you start to, is this in the challenge of missing work, are we valuing equity over assimilation? Are we valuing agency over compliance? There is such an adherence to due dates that it really is not serving anybody. Like, and think about this. Um, we found when I was doing this exercise with uh, educators, a team of educators, they looked at the data and they realized that the majority of the missing work or zeros, which there's a whole other issue with giving people a zero, but we're not gonna talk about that, right? The, when they looked at the zeros, they realized, oh my gosh, so much of this missing work is next to absences. Mm. And what they found was that, cause this was a high school, what they found was that it was too overwhelming for students to come back. There was no way they could not figure out how they were going to make up the work and maintain keeping up with the work that was happening. And they just, they fell into this hole and they were just like, I don't know what to do. Yeah. I don't know what to do. And in this case, you have students lacking an agency because they, they feel like it doesn't matter what I do. Mm -hmm. that they can't be, yeah, right. I'm, I'm sorry. They can't be compliant. Yeah, they, they can't be compliant because they're so, like, I don't know, I've lost agency. I've lost my sense of self-efficacy. I can't, I don't know what to do. I cannot do that thing. Mm. Right. And so if you think about those um, and also connection over conformity, what conversation have you had with the student who's missing work? How have you helped them figure out how we're going to do this together? How have we valued their situation and where they are? Right. So as you're, you're confronting this challenge, you know, start with your values. Are we doing these three values? And then say, well, hmm, what do we need to shift in our systems? What do we need? If we give zeros for missing assignments, there's no incentive because the students are like, ah, what am I supposed to do? And there's these like really tight deadlines over you've been absent. So you only have three days to finish it. But do you recognize that they have six other teachers that they're trying to respond to as well? And let's look at this idea of a deadline in the first place. A deadline was when certain cultures had to plant seeds by a certain time. Otherwise, you're dead. 
This is not a deadline. <laughs> this is not a deadline. Instead, let's shift. This is a due date. And a due date is more like being an expectant mother. That baby going to come when it comes. But you have an idea of when it's supposed to show up, right? That's a due date. <laughs> <laughs> this is great. You've given us this perfect example, metaphor for deadlines versus due dates. Yeah. Can we be a little more flexible? Is anybody going to die in this moment? No. Is a due date. Be more flexible. Show more grace. And I have found that the most, oftentimes the most inflexible educators are the ones asking for extensions themselves as a professional. So let's just be recognized that we're human and um, show more grace. And so we're examining our systems. Do we have grace within our systems? You know, are we thinking about due dates instead of deadlines? And then we can shape what habits and practices we promote in that space. And then ultimately you've created a space where students can have agency and empower to then show you what they know in a way that they can receive feedback and grow to their full potential. Because that's the goal of the work. It's not to put grades in a grade book. It's so do you know where they are in their learning so that they can continue to move forward? We have to remember the purpose of grading work in the first place. It's supposed to be about feedback and growth, not about punishment mm -hmm. and conformity. Wow. So when we think about space completely differently, we're speaking mm -hmm. about the way in which we interact within our classrooms in ways that dignify student learning and dignify yes. students. Yes, as human beings, full human beings. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which takes us back to that schoolhouse 200 years ago. Yep. That was completely centered on compliance, assimilation, the teacher being all knowing and in all control. Mm -hmm. But as the world has evolved and changed, Hopefully. And so have our hopefully, yes. <laughs> and our hopefully, you know, expectations for education have changed. We have to evolve that schoolhouse as well. Not only do we have to evolve for the health of our students, but like just that that assimilation mentality is not going to work in a global economy. No, I'm like, we will lose. Like it's just, you know, <laughs> we are in this together, and we're all connected. And if we think that we can only promote one way of learning, then we're the ones who are going to be left behind. Absolutely. So one last question as we wrap up today, if you're gonna boil this all down, what's your call to action? Yes, so um, I've been doing a lot of thinking about like, you know, a call to action. What do I want? You know, that's my, my, my media team's like, well, what's our CTA here? What's our call to action here, right? <laughs> and so <laughs> I'm thinking a lot about this. And I've also been thinking a lot about this idea of, you know, it's good to set goals. And this, you know, goes back to like Atomic Habits, uh, James Clear, but, you know, it's good to set goals, but it's it, sometimes it's even more important to think about not just what I want to do, but who do I want to be? Who do I want to be in this moment? How do I want to show up in this space? Mm -hmm. How do I want to invite others to be their authentic selves in this space? And so my call to action, I would say, is to think about that question, who do you want to be as an educator? Who do you want to be for the colleagues that are in the space with you, 
Who do you want to be in terms of designing a space for students to show up and to find themselves? It's not about them finding your way. It's about them finding their way. The way I do something may not be the best way from them. And if I watch and observe and listen and learn, we can all grow together. And so I think that would be my CTA, as we call it, my call to action. Just think about who is it who you want to be? And I took the time to do that. And what I did was I created um, five things, five things that I want to be every day, or like five little buckets that I want to fill up every day. And for me, who do I want to be? Uh, what's important to me is love and family. That's my first one. Then my second one was revolution. So that's important to me. <laughs> my third one was fun. I want to have a little bit of fun every day. We should laugh sometimes. Uh, the, the fourth one was creativity because I just, I'm an artist, I'm a dancer, I'm a performer, I'm a writer. I like to create things. And then my last one was productivity because I want to make a difference. Though that's who I want to be. Mm. But each person has to figure that out for themselves. Nicole, thank you. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for sharing different systems for us to think about our work and to reflect and your call to action. I have a feeling folks are right now, you know, drafting some buckets in their journals as they were listening, thinking about that idea of who do I want to be? What yeah, does and that tweet look at like? me. I'm, I'm at in Tucker Smith. If you answer that question, tweet at me, tell me who you want to be. <laughs> I love, I love hearing people's stories. And some, and I, I would, I've done that and I've done call to actions before where I say like, tweet at me your story. And somebody was like, I wasn't sure if you were serious. I was like, I'm serious. And they were, and I had a teacher say to me, no one has ever asked me that before. Hmm. No one ever has asked me my, to share my story before. Wow. Today's so, the day. So hopefully today is the day. Send if, it in. If you are listening, <laughs> make sure you tweet to in Tucker Smith. <laughs> Perfect. Nicole, yeah. thank you. It has thank been you. a pleasure. And again, fun. Love the laughter. <laughs> Love getting to know you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Michelle. This was awesome. Thank you so much for listening in. The Phenomenal Teaching Podcast is brought to you by PEBC, Public Education and Business Coalition, and is intended to elevate the strands of the PEBC teaching framework, which is illustrated in Wendy Wardhofer's book, Phenomenal Teaching. PEBC is headquartered in Denver, Colorado, but works both locally and nationally to cultivate agency, equity, and understanding for each and every learner. PEBC provides customized on-site professional development and coaching for schools and districts, facilitates a variety of institutes and seminars, and offers an array of online learning experiences for all educators. We also prepare new teachers via the PEBC Teacher Residency Program. Check us out at pebc.org. Thank you.